and welcome to the 31st episode of the LI Law Podcast. I am your host, Zahava Schechter. The premise of this podcast is to feature issues, developments, and topics affecting the law and how it relates to the 8 million of us who live or work on Long Island, New York, which includes Nassau, Suffolk, Queens, and Kings Counties. If you live or work on Long Island, this podcast on local and state legislative and judicial decisions is for you. Our guest on this 31st episode is Jacqueline Harunian, Esquire, an attorney specializing in matrimonial and family law mediation, litigation and appeals, family conflict counseling, guardianship and surrogates court practice, cyberbullying and social media law, school and education law, and fertility and preconception law. Please check out the show notes for a full list of Jackie Harunian's credentials and contact information. Please also keep in mind that we will not be providing legal advice to any specific questions. Jackie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Zahava. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm a partner at the law firm of Whistleman, Harunian and Associates in Great Neck, and I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to your audience about law as it affects practices on Long Island and specifically family law. Well, I think we're going to have a great episode, Jackie. So how did you come to specialize in matrimonial law? I got married very young. I was uh, 20 when I got married and I was already a mom of a one-year-old when I decided that the stay-at-home mom life was not for me and my husband luckily was very supportive and so I decided to attend law school. In my mind, I thought I was going to be helping my husband with his real estate uh, business but it turned out I took a class in family law uh, when I was a second year student and I immediately connected with the issues as a mother and realized that this was a practice area that I wanted to pursue. Okay, and let's start with questions involving divorce. What are some options which couples face when contemplating divorce? And we're talking mainly about litigation or mediation. Why choose mediation? Mediation and the individuals and couples that are availing themselves of mediation is really part of a larger trend uh, where mediation is being considered more and more as an option to litigation. And this is uh, across the board throughout civil practice. And in fact, in New York State, there are now more initiatives to encourage and support mediation for litigants, not just divorce litigants. And what are some of the benefits of mediation? There are many benefits. In our firm, we have nine lawyers. Uh, There are two of us that really uh, do quite a bit of mediation cases, and I am one of them. Uh, And at this stage of my practice, I've been practicing for almost 25 years. Uh, It's really uh, dramatic, the difference uh, in mediation cases versus litigation cases when, uh, and in fact, I do still do quite a few litigation cases. I have a trial starting on Monday. Uh, But that's uh, because we've tried everything to avoid moving forward, and unfortunately, we're going to pursue the trial. The the differences, as I mentioned, between mediation and litigation is dramatic. So, for example, mediation cases tend to attract couples that have a good degree of trust and communication that exists at the time they seek to go through the legal process which means they're coming forward to sit down with a mediator, talk openly about the issues in their marriage, whether custody issues, financial issues, and they're already inclined to share information and inclined to agree. So mediation attracts couples that want to work together. Uh, Not always. Uh, There are times when mediation can be used to abuse the process, and I can talk about that a little bit later, but generally people come forward ready to agree. What that, what that translates into is a process that's much, much quicker, 
Uh, I can mediate a case and resolve it with a signed agreement in a matter of days or weeks. Usually it takes a month or two, but when parties are in a hurry and they're motivated, it can be a quick process. Isn't mediation also less expensive? Yes, because it's so quick uh, and because parties come forward ready to agree in many, many cases, it can be very, very inexpensive. Mediation can be much less expensive than litigation. The retainers tend to be low. And because there is so little court involvement, attorney involvement in most cases, and you're really eliminating all of the discovery processes like depositions, subpoenas, requests for documents, numerous court conferences, uh, the cases really are expedited and the costs are low and as in most we, cases. And as we know, the attorney's fees are the highest expense really in a divorce case, right? Yeah, generally the attorney's fees are the lion's share of the expenses, but in cases where you have businesses or high net worth individuals that have, uh, you need expert attention. For example, we have many cases where parties have a lot of real estate. If they can't uh, agree in advance, through the mediation process and on how to divide up those assets. If they go into the court system, one of the very first things the court is going to do is appoint experts to value real estate, experts to value the, 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 a practice, a medical practice, or other type of business. Expert fees can be extremely expensive, tens of thousands of dollars. And the same thing if you cannot resolve custody issues. Experts are costly, therapists, forensic custody evaluators. Uh, attorneys for children, these are all expenses above and beyond the attorney's fees and they can add up very, very quickly, which is why mediation should be considered for individuals and couples that really do get along, uh, are on the same page when it comes to parenting and have relatively simple assets and support scenarios. Okay, and is mediation binding on the parties, on the husband and wife? Uh, any agreement that's signed with a mediator is going to be signed, it's going to be notarized, and yes, it's going to be binding and enforceable like any other contract in New York State. I should mention that even with the mediation process, I know I'm making it sound like it's kind of quick and uh, almost rushed, but that's not the case. There are many cases where people will come to mediation. It will take them a long time to reach a final resolution. They have time to confer with their own lawyers, their own accountants, have whatever information they need from their own trusted advisors, and then they will reach the finish line and sign the mediation agreement. The entire process is out of court, and it's relatively friendly. How has the option of mediation changed the way you practice law and the advice you give your clients? Well, I mean, from the very beginning, I think my reputation has been built uh, on trying to resolve cases. There are many other attorneys out there that will run to court at the very first opportunity, and it's a very different type of uh, business model, very different type of family law practice. In our office, as I mentioned, we have nine attorneys. We have always offered a free consultation, and uh, the attorneys here, we are very focused on reaching a resolution early on in the process, which means that from the very beginning, we will prepare our clients to, be, uh, to go to court if necessary. We will investigate assets. Of course, uh, one of our obligations is to find assets and make sure our clients get their fair share. But at the same time, we initiate settlement discussions very early on in the process. So the ways that matrimonial lawyers do that is by exchanging correspondence, uh, by setting up what's called a four-way meeting to sit down with counsel and try to iron out issues, especially custody issues. 
and, and from the very beginning, shaping the client's mindset towards resolving their case. Because, of course, clients have to resolve their case. 97% or more of cases do not go to trial. That means that these cases are going to be resolved one way or the other before trial. And clients need to understand that, that the court system is not set up for the courts, for the judges to really resolve these issues. Uh, it's, it's a sort of, uh, you know, uh, an unpleasant reality that a lot of clients that come in expecting to have a day in court, expecting for the court to hear uh, their issues and make rulings against their spouse, they are never going to have that opportunity. They're never really going to be uh, having that moment in court when the court decides that they're right and that their ex-spouse is wrong. Uh, and that really it's a matter of becoming financially and emotionally exhausted by numerous court appearances that can last for months and months and in some cases years and years. And in the end, someone is going to throw in the towel and settle. I think that sounds like a very realistic view of practice. People expect there that justice will be served in court, but it doesn't always work that way. And one other thing, although I don't practice matrimonial law, but I'm aware of is even once you work out that mediation or agreement, both parties still have to live with that agreement. Right. So I think, isn't it easier to live with something to which you have agreed? You've That's been exactly a party right. to it as opposed to the judge imposing it upon you. Yeah, I, I often tell my clients that you don't want the government as well-intentioned as a judge can be, and some of the judges are really wonderful and very sensitive to the issues that I've been talking about, you don't really want a stranger to decide what's best for your family. Uh, and parents, they know their child. I mean, we have many cases where there are children with special needs, uh, parents that have very, very unique work circumstances or situations that only they know what's best for their own family or their child, and they need to be given the opportunity to really customize a custody agreement, a support agreement that's in their own best interest and their children's best interest. And when clients come to us, I, I think we have an obligation to de-escalate the emotion that they're feeling, that desire for vengeance. A lot of times it comes on the heels of an infidelity. People come in here and they are furious. And of course, lawyers can take advantage of that and rile up their clients and tell them, well, let's go to court. Let's really serve your husband at work. Let's embarrass him in front of his family. Let's subpoena his sister. I mean, there's so many opportunities to really make cases nasty and difficult. And I always try to be uh, the person in the case that will dial it back and create opportunities to calm down, especially when it comes to custody cases. Co-parenting is a reality. Uh, with When you have two working parents, there is going to be some form of joint custody, and parents need to recognize that and accept that. And a lot of it really is about acceptance. And there's a new tax law uh, with provisions, um, including the fact that alimony and child support are treated that the same way, mm -hmm. so that there is no deduction to a person paying alimony or income reporting obligation to a person receiving alimony. How does this affect your matrimonial practice and mediation? Yeah, there has been a reform of the tax law, the, the Trump tax law that took effect recently. And what it's done is that it's made alimony, which is called spousal support um, in the law, it's made it gender neutral and it's made it tax neutral, which means that it no longer is a factor in negotiations that uh, spousal support is going to be includable as income to one party and a tax write-off to the other party. Uh, that was a factor that existed a, a year or two ago that was complicating uh, settlements. 
A lot of times parties had to negotiate extensively to find the number that was going to put the most money in the pocket of the recipient spouse and give the best deduction to the payor spouse. I'm in favor of the change. I think it's really made cases simpler and easier to negotiate. Uh, Unfortunately, I think it's part of a trend in the law that has really hurt the uh, non-moneyed spouse, the stay-at-home spouse. Uh, There's a whole cluster of new laws that have really, really made it uh, harder for that spouse Uh, because along with the tax impact, that change, there's also been uh, changes that have made licenses and degrees. They're no longer uh, marital property. Durations for support are are lower than they used to be. Lifetime spousal support no longer exists. So many laws that really bring home the message that if you earn less and stay at home, uh, you are taking a risk if your marriage fails. And and the other thing related to tax returns is that more and more uh, we are seeing judges that are very clear that if you did not report income during your marriage, you had income off the books or cash, or you, uh, in a way, conspired with your spouse during the marriage to you know, sign joint tax returns that weren't entirely honest, then that's going to hurt you in your divorce because you're not really going to be able to come to court and protest the tax returns that you signed. And, and we do see many times, and it's usually the wife, who really took a back seat, didn't sign the tax returns, maybe didn't even look at them, and then she wants to come to court during her divorce and say, I didn't know what was going on. And and you're not seeing that sympathy uh, with the judges anymore. The judges are not as sympathetic as they used to be. Many of the judges are women. For sure, women are being held to a higher standard. They're expected to look at their tax returns and see what's going on. And so this is yet another example, and I can give others of how family law has changed in favor of the earning spouse. Okay, well that's a, that's a great segue to the fact that matrimonial actions are heard in the state Supreme Court and family court, and child support matters are also heard in family court. So what are the differences between the matrimonial centers, the family courts, the uh, support magistrates hearings? Uh, so actually the only place to get a divorce is in Supreme Court. You cannot file a divorce case in family court Uh, but there is concurrent jurisdiction. So uh, family court is really a a walk-in system where anyone, even without a lawyer, can get all types of help and resources. And that includes uh, child custody, it includes paternity, orders of protection, which are extremely common. Probably a third of our cases start out in family court with orders of protection. But also child support, spousal support, uh, PINs petitions for children that need supervision, all kinds of resources for public assistance and drug treatment. The family court really is a go-to for a lot of people that need help and can't necessarily hire a lawyer, a private lawyer like my firm. The Supreme Court is where you have to go to get a divorce, and every county has its own Supreme Court. So there's one in Queens, there's one in Nassau, there's one in Suffolk, there's a Supreme Court in every county. And you have to file in the county where you reside to get a divorce. And you can't ask for a specific judge, right? There's no judge shopping. There's absolutely no judge shopping, and you can't file simultaneously in family court and Supreme Court. So if you don't like what's going on in family court in your custody case, it's not so easy to say, well, you know what, I think I'll go try my luck in Supreme Court. Uh, What a lot of people do is when their divorce is concluded and they've got their judgment of divorce, they're able to go back to family court or for the first time to family court to file for modifications. 
And the most common modifications have to do with child support uh, because there is a law that every three years or after a 15% change up or down in income, uh, you can go to family court and try to get a little bit more uh, child support or if necessary, file for a reduction in child support if you've lost your job or there's been a reduction in income. So family court uh, is the place where people go and I encourage people to go, especially people that can't afford to have a lawyer. Uh, a lot of times when people come in here for a free consultation, I am making referrals to family court or to the safe center or other types of resources that can help uh, people that need specific services. And do you find that Supreme Court judges, family court judges, and support magistrates are supportive of the mediation process? Absolutely. I think almost every judge or support magistrate which deals with support issues, they encourage the mediation process mostly because the system is uh, really overburdened. All of the courts are. They really are. And there's just not enough resources in place. There's not enough court time to really deal with the large volume of cases that are there. And uh, as I mentioned before, you know, they'll take in the case, the family court, anyone can walk in and ask for uh, help from a judge. But it could take months and months before those cases are resolved. And you could be standing uh, in the hallway of a family court month after month, taking time off from work. Uh, and the process is exhausting. And a lot of settlements happen in the hallway because people just realize they just can't continue the case. Or uh, emotions cool off and people realize they don't really want to continue the case. The system will take in the case. It's very easy to file a lawsuit in any of the courts in New York State. The question is, what is it going to take to get it to the point where you're actually heard by a judge? And uh, that's a tall order in, in many, many cases. Okay, now we're going to move on to a segment called What is on Your Desk? A recent client or matter whom you can use to illustrate a teachable legal moment to the listeners. So Jackie, what's on your desk? So uh, a lot of the cases that I've taken in recently have to do with uh, joint custody. And it's a teachable moment because it really illustrates the mismatch of expectations that clients have versus the reality. Um, I have a lot of cases where um, and this reflects what's going in our society. Uh, fathers are more active fathers. Uh, their wives are working. And even when their wives aren't, we do see in this generation of fathers a desire to have a more active role. So I do see moms, even ones that stayed home with their children, they're having to deal with the fact that the fathers want joint custody. And a lot of times it's 50-50 custody. Is and that, does that mean that the child moves every week or every couple of weeks? The child is moving his or her residence from parent to parent? Yeah, the most favored scenario, and I'm really talking about children that are over the age of five, because for younger children, um, I think it's, it's a little bit different. But for school-age children, especially the ones where the fathers are living in close proximity with the school and with the mom, the most favored schedule is one where it's the weekday is split. So you might have Monday to Wednesday with one parent, Wednesday to Friday with the other parent, and then alternating weekends. How does that affect the child? Uh, you know, it, it used to be uh, a lot of people were resistant to this idea that children would go back and forth in between households. And it's very early days yet. We really need to see this go on for probably 10 or 15 years before we see how it really has affected this generation of children. Joint custody, shared custody, it's been a thing uh, in Manhattan and New York County probably for at least five years. And now uh, on Long Island for the past year or two, I definitely see it gaining ground. And uh, a lot of people are in favor of it. Uh, the moms, uh, not so much. 
but the courts, the judges, law guardians, they seem to be receptive to it. And joint custody is generally believed to be in the best interest of children. And by joint custody, I mean just the concept that both parents have an active role in being involved with their children. The 50-50 custody thing is relatively new. All kinds of reactions. I think it's very early to say how good or bad it is. Move on to a segment called Only on Long Island, a development that you see in matrimonial practice on Long Island as opposed to other boroughs. So, Jackie, how does practice of matrimonial matters on Long Island differ, let's say, from other boroughs? Yeah, I mean, I'm generalizing a little bit because obviously uh, you can't generalize completely. The law is the same throughout New York State, but the practice is a little bit different depending on the locale. So I would say in general, uh, Long Island, uh, Nassau and Suffolk in particular, you're talking mostly about homeowners, uh, you know, school districts that people get very attached to. A lot of times you have a spouse who stays at home or works from home. So it's a little bit more traditional, I would say, and maybe a little bit more conservative. And by that, I mean the 50-50 joint custody thing. It, it sort of uh, just has just arrived on the scene in, in New York City. Uh, it's been in place for much, much longer, and a lot of it, I think, has to do with the fact that there's maybe a more of an openness to go to family court, maybe fewer married couples in New York City versus Long Island. So in the family courts, uh, the 50-50 custody thing has been going on for several years. And the children take public transportation. They go back and forth between parents' homes. And it has been somewhat successful, I would say, in New York City. And now it's sort of traveling across East, in an eastern direction towards uh, the end of Long Island. In Westchester, uh, more similar to Long Island in terms of homeowners and maybe the school districts and, and that type of, uh, of uh, affinity with the school district. In Westchester, I think there's much more mediation going on. It's much more of an open and encouragement of mediation and that's been going on for much, much longer. And on Long Island, I see more resistance to mediation. There are fewer individuals and couples that have taken it on uh, and the same thing with collaborative law has not been uh, quick to catch on on Long Island. Hopefully that will change because mediation is, I think, a friendlier practice and tends to attract people that want to do the right thing uh, in terms of co-parenting and avoiding litigation. I, I've been practicing family law, as I mentioned, for almost 25 years, and I've been very fortunate that my entire career has been with this law firm. I started working with Jerry Whistleman when I was a law student. And a family law has really kept my interest o- over all these years, and uh, I can't see uh, my interest in it fading, mostly because uh, it has so much to do with psychology and relationships. I've always had a strong interest in psychology. In fact, if I wasn't a lawyer, I probably would have ended up as a mental health professional. Uh, and we can see in so many ways how families are changing and how law is just catching up to where society is. Uh, You can see this in co-parenting. You can see it in joint custody. You can see it uh, in so many areas where stigmas and shame are fading in traditional communities. And uh, so we are doing prenuptial agreements, postnuptial agreements for same-sex parents. We're doing it for couples that don't want to get married but want to have a cohabitation agreement. We're seeing it in couples that have somewhat of an open relationship, want to stay married, but still want to have a financial agreement to divide up assets or to agree on support. So uh, family law has become very customized, a little bit more open to different types of alternative family arrangements. 
In the next year, we're going to see possibly legislation regarding surrogates and using gestational carriers, which New York does not right now. It's not legal in New York right now, but it's expected to be that Governor Cuomo is going to have legislation that safeguards the rights of women that carry babies for other women. And this is going to create new opportunities for older mothers, for uh, families that want to have more children and for whatever reason have fertility issues. Uh, a new change is that uh, insurance companies are now covering IVF treatment for the very first time. This started a week ago. And so I think we're going to see career women, older parents, uh, maybe same-sex parents investigate all of the options in growing their families with IVF, with new fertility treatments, and with the new surrogacy law. Okay, and that's it for our 31st episode. Thank you, Jacqueline Harunian, for coming on the podcast today. And to our listeners, be sure to download this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you are there, please rate us with the review that might start. I just heard on the LA Law podcast that, according to Newsday, two brothers are fighting in Nassau County Supreme Court over whether to keep mom connected to life support. They're spending tens of thousands of dollars on attorneys and court costs to ask the court to decide which son gets to make the decision whether to keep mom alive or disconnect life support. This could easily have been avoided had mom executed a simple and expensive healthcare proxy and the family would still be talking to each other. The LI Law Podcast lets you know what's going on on Long Island and is your podcast for local tips which educate and entertain. Thanks for listening.